Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not replace your own financial, tax, legal, or financial product advice. Hello Australia, welcome to My Millennial Money. I'm Glenn James. Today on the podcast, we've got a friend of the podcast and a returning guest, Jody Fitzgerald. Jody, you're the head of institutional portfolio management and solutions at Morningstar Investment Management. <gasps> welcome back. You should see the size of my business card. Yeah, please. welcome back to the podcast. Hey, Jody, we're going to talk about inflation. We're going to talk about interest rates and we'll walk through it all. We've got some listener questions here. We're going to talk about uh, setting up a checklist to govern our own investment behaviors, systems, everything to make sure we don't do anything wild in these crazy times. Yeah, because when it's volatile, people can make bad decisions. So let's not do it. Let's not make bad decisions. So strap in people and let's get it on right now. It's been more than 10 years since we've had an interest rate increase in Australia. And what I wanted to first ask Jody about was just the structure around how that works. Uh, why is it a big deal? Why isn't it a big deal? Interest rates have been coming down over the last 10 years. Yep. Our, and basically, this was all off the back of the GFC, right? The global financial crisis. Yep. yep. So, how would you kind of talk about interest rates and inflation uh, for somebody who might be new to this podcast, for somebody who doesn't really get into the weeds of the news and economics and all that. Yeah, sure. Let's just bring it back around to a 101, what's going on and where we're at today. Yep. Maybe let's start with inflation because inflation is one or is the key reason why we are likely to see interest rates start to rise. So let's unpack that first. So inflation, as uh, you'll hear a lot of it on the news at the moment uh, with prices, and you'll be feeling it as well, going to the supermarket, filling up your car. It's just uh, it's a nightmare at the moment. But inflation has been on the march for a little while, and there's a few different reasons for that. So inflation is effectively what you could buy in a year's time. It's going to cost you more than it does today. All right, so that's what inflation is. It cost me, you know, a dollar for you know, a loaf of bread today, tomorrow it's going to cost me $1.20. So I need more money just to buy all the things that I used to buy every day. So there's been a few reasons for the inflation and you'll hear a lot of it around, you know, supply and demand. So basically a lot of this goes back to COVID, right? So when the virus broke out, most governments around the world locked down their you know, their economies effectively, stop the movement of people to try to, you know, cease the spread of the virus. But in doing so, they actually disrupted a lot of economic activity. So manufacturing stopped. You know, your ability to ship goods from one country to another was really severely impacted. So, but at the same time, governments to actually support their, you know, their citizens through not being able to work, et cetera, were giving out payments. And we saw that here in Australia, which was great and it was needed. But what happened was is that people still had money to spend. Mm. 
So demand stayed up, but supply went down. So economics 101, if you've got high demand, low supply, the price goes up effectively. Right. And is that why, you know, in a, in a real sense of the word, like we see a lot of people who are like, oh, why is my secondhand car worth more now than two years ago? Yeah. And it probably trickles back to, well, new stock is being delayed coming into Australia. And then the one of the reasons why is, you know, the COVID supply chain and ships and all that. But then one step further, the microchips in inside car computers, yep. there was a, a lag on microchips. So, are we seeing now the lagged effects of the lockdowns two years ago? Is that what you're saying? It is. There's a few other elements, though, uh, that we need to take into account. So, obviously, then there's been the war in Ukraine, and that has added further inflationary pressures. Predominantly because of the sanctions, it's actually limited to the supply of certain things like energy. So, that's why putting petrol in your car costs a lot more at the moment because Russia actually supplies a significant amount of the world's energy in, in the form of uh, oil or natural gas. Um, there's also food shortages as a result of that because of the wheat and the corn that gets produced in that region and then also some rare you know, uh, earth metals that are often used in manufacturing processes. So microchips, for example, uh, and even the wiring in cars, things like palladium, neon gases that are quite important, largely come out of that region. So you've got these ongoing inflation pressures um, that are going to be uh, caused by supply and demand imbalances. That said, though, so when we get to the heart of interest rates is that supply and demand imbalances themselves, most central banks, the central banks are the governing body in each country that sets the level of interest rates for that country. So here in Australia, it's the Reserve Bank of Australia. Uh, you'll hear reference to the US Fed, the US Federal Reserve, which is who sets uh, policy over in the States. So most of the time, supply and demand imbalances work their way out of the system, okay? Something gets too expensive and people just go, no, I'm not going to buy it. Right? Well, that's your general market forces, isn't it? Yep, absolutely. Which I've crapped on, you know, for the small business owners out there, like, you know, you should increase your price, but if you're a, a plumber, you might not be able to charge $2,000 an hour because you won't have clients. So, yeah. you'll have to lower your hourly rate to get that work. So, that kind of works on a, a, a large global scale as well, does it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yep. So market forces, 100%, supply and demand balances generally work their way out of the system. And Can I just also, yeah. sorry, yeah. everyone. <laughs> I just. <laughs> you had a thought. Yeah. Can I actually just ask you one thing before you kind of move on with the inflation thing? You know, if inflation at the moment in Australia is three, three and a half, up to 4%, you know, in that kind of range. Yep. Is some inflation good? Yes. Okay, because that's what I, yep. yeah. So yep. maybe you can weave that into the conversation yeah. as well. Yeah, so then this gets us to the next um, element that's causing inflation. And this is the one that is likely to cause interest rates to rise, okay? So some inflation can be a good thing because what it is actually telling you is that the economy is doing well that there's, there's lots of money out there chasing goods and therefore the prices are able to rise because people are willing to spend money and spend a little bit more. Um, there's so, it gets the money moving. Yeah. yeah. They call it, you know, to use a technical term, the velocity of money. Mm. Mm. Um, but anyway, so just how quickly money is moving around the market chasing goods and services effectively. Now, one of the problems that we're starting to see is, and this is particularly prevalent in the US, is, you know, over there at the moment, their inflation rate is 8.5%, which is wow. ridiculous, right? It's so high. Um, now, 
a lot of central banks will look through what they refer to as volatile items, so things like food and energy and so forth. Um, but even when you look through those volatile items, it's still 6.4%. It's huge. Mm. Now, what's happening over there is you've actually got a very strong economy. And as a result, what you'll have is good old-fashioned fa- overheating economy where you've got, you know, people, you know, aggregate demands going up, it's causing inflation, and then that's spilling over into wages. So wage inflation is starting to become a problem in a lot of countries, particularly in the US. Uh, there's concerns that it might be starting to become a problem here. So we get wage data out sort of next month in May. Inflation data actually, so what's today? Today's the 26th. Inflation data is due out tomorrow on the 27th. So by the time this airs, it's probably yep. out. All right. Yep. So anyway, the reason why that's a problem is basically the only way to prevent or stop wage inflation, unlike supply and demand balances that eventually work their way out of the system, they are solved by basically the central banks raising interest rates and trying to deliberately slow economic activity. But some wage inflation is obviously good, right? Because if inflation is 4% and I only got a 2% pay rise last year, I've still got a pay reduction of 2%. Absolutely, yeah. But there's there's that point where it becomes a vicious circle, right? right? So where if... The, so think about it in the context of the US. Inflation's eight and a half. You got a, and wage inflation over there at the moment is five. Now most central banks will target an inflation range of between two to three percent. So if, as you know, somebody who's working in the states, I go to my boss and I insist on a five percent pay rise, they then go, well, we're going to have to increase the costs of our stuff because I've got to pay you. It's costing me more. I've got to increase, and then it just keeps going around and becomes this sort of you know, this vicious cycle that the only way it's broken is by slowing down economic activity so that me as as a worker no longer necessarily have that bargaining power to go back and say, I need more money um, because everything's getting more expensive effectively. So what you want to do is bring prices down by actually reducing demand. Mm -hmm. And the way you reduce demand is by increasing interest rates. What happens is that companies will make decisions about well, am I going to expand? Because I then have to borrow money at higher interest rates to expand. I can't really afford to do that. So therefore, I'm not going to expand. So therefore, I'm not going to hire those new staff, you know, et cetera. So it starts to slow things down. Now, this is what's got markets concerned at the moment because it's a fine balancing act between, you'll hear the phrase a soft landing. So can central banks increase interest rates just enough to cause inflation to come down? but not cause a recession or actually are they going to go too hard, too fast and really pull back um, economic activity and, and, and force the economy into a recession? Because realistically, it got to the point in Australia that we can't really take interest rates lower than 0.1 at the RBA. Like, well, it's nothing already basically. Yeah. Uh, but just on that, like you use the example of the United States is that a better study or case study because there is a bigger population and more data? No. So the reason why I will often refer to the US when I'm talking about interest rates is because the US is the global reserve currency, right? right. Every, a lot of trade that happens is done in US dollars. Um, that It's also, therefore, their level of interest rates is what's referred to as the risk-free rate. 
Now, when you're valuing any investment, right, basically the value of any asset is effectively the cash flows it can generate and the growth of those cash flows. You look out over, you know, however long you've known that asset and you discount it back at an interest rate. Now, that interest rate is the global risk-free rate, which is the US 10-year interest rate level. Right. So, what happens to US rates is important because all assets are priced off it. Mm. So, that's why we're getting market volatility at the moment because the market's worried about what the US Fed's going to do, how hard are they going to go, and then will risk basically be repriced? Because for the last decade or more, interest rates have been on this constant downward trajectory and therefore money's been free Mm. effectively. Yeah, so lots going on here. Just I've got a couple of things uh, to ask. So, if the Reserve Bank of Australia, their interest rate's 0.1% at the moment. Yep. I go and get a home loan from the bank down the road and they've got some borrowing costs. So, they might borrow it from the Reserve Bank, for example, at 0.1%. Yep. And then if they give me that loan for 2.5%, are we saying their spread or their profit is basically 2.4%? Is that too simplistic? No, look, it's a little bit too simplistic, but I think it's fine to yep. understand that concept of, yeah. And I, and I, think, I guess because not all banks are borrowing um, from the RBA of Australia, is that correct? Yeah, well, there's a combination of different uh, ways that they get their money. It's from sort of the, um, from the central bank, it's from the deposits that they take in. Yep. And therefore, it's the difference between, well, what do I have to attract depositors? How much interest do I have to pay them? Do you remember when you could actually get like 7 or 9% from a term deposit? Yes. Yeah. And that's because... But interest att- rates back then were... Absolutely right. Exactly, yeah. But that's because you had to offer that to attract the money. Mm. Um, and just, they'll also go to wholesale markets. So they'll go to, um, you know, they'll issue debt or they'll issue bonds mm. to also gather those assets. So realistically, well. you know, if we said, well, interest rates are 0.1, but the bank that I'm borrowing money for for my mortgage, their funding costs might be 1.5%. Absolutely. Because yeah. they've got to pay, um, you know, I'm borrowing money, then they're paying a 1.5% out. Yep. Um, they might only be making a 1.5% spread yeah. on the money. Yep. Yes. Yep. And then I guess the other dance is, so with inflation and businesses investing, the dance is, do I want businesses to invest $100 today if tomorrow it's worth less? Yeah. And if it is worth less tomorrow, well, why would I invest? 100%. If there, if there was zero inflation... I'm not going to invest anything. If there's too much inflation, it's not sustainable Yep. because everything else is going too crazy. And these are really simple, dumb questions because I'm not an economist <laughs> and I'm just trying to yeah, think no, about the not, not person dumb. listening who might not be over this either. Yeah, not dumb at all. But So, what you described there was deflation, right? And this yes. has been a problem in Japan for a very long time where you're right, if prices are going backwards – why would I buy something today for $100 when it's worth 90 tomorrow? I'd be dumb to, right? Mm. So I'm going to hold on to my money. The problem with that is if I hold on to my money, that business owner who needs me to spend that $100 can't pay his staff and then that leads to sort of an economic downturn and then everything kind of, you know. So that's why central banks target some inflation. So they target inflation at 2 to 3% because that's a level that is nice for economic activity to be sort it's of... It's a balance. It's a nice balance, absolutely. Yep. If it gets too high, it becomes a problem of too much money chasing too few goods and 
then again, as the business owner, I have costs I have to pay. So that $100 that, you know, I want you to buy a product for 100 bucks, it's cost me $80 to buy it so I can make $20 profit, pay my yep. staff, et cetera, et cetera. If inflation is going on, then all of a sudden, well, I now need to buy that good for $90. So I can't on sell it to you for 10, uh, for, sorry, 100 and only make $10 profit because actually that means I can't really afford to pay my staff properly, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. So you can see how it just becomes this spiral effect that can get out of control. And that is why the central banks need to raise rates to slow that spiral down. And then with interest rates, the effect on the markets, you know, we hear this word, you know, investors, they're on a hunt for yield because (laughs) if I've got $100 to invest and I put it in at my bank account, it might earn 1% interest. And if inflation's 2%, I know that that $100 is going backwards. So I need to take on some risk and buy some Woolworths or CBA shares to try and get the 5 to 7% Turn, return or whatever I want. Yep. But the dance is, well, if the governments increase interest rates, mm-hmm. I can get more of a return off my money with less risk. So, I might yes. pull it out of markets. Yes. So, and that's what we'd refer to as a repricing of risk. So, with interest rates being really low and inflation being really low for a long time, people have been willing to pay up for return, which means they've been willing to take on more risk than what they would have, you know, 15 years ago, for example, mm. 20 years ago, et cetera. Um, eventually that has to correct. Mm. And I would probably say like in the first time in my adult life, because I would like to think I'm a young adult, um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm probably seeing inflation in real life for the first time ever. Oh, absolutely. And fuel aside, like you go to the cafe now and- yep. You know, I just paid, like I had a big salad downstairs where we got our coffee from. It was $18.50. It's ridiculous, isn't it? I added $5 for the grilled chicken. That's an expensive lunch. Yep. And, but the business owner is just trying to cover their costs, pay for the produce, the costs that might have increased, pay for rent, pay for staff. Yep. So, this is getting, it's getting ridiculous. And we know coming up to the federal election, both governments are talking about cost of living. Yeah. But just on that, in your experience, and this is just my experience, realistically, there is only so much policy that a government can put in place to affect the inflation and interest rates. Uh, Yes. So, central banks which control interest rates are generally independent of the government. Uh, so it's not as though whoever gets in can say to the central bank, uh, to the RBA, you need to keep interest rates at X. I mean, Scotty's probably flicking old mate governor a text going, can you just wait 10 minutes? <laughs> well, it is it is super unusual for them to raise rates during an election mm. period. Um, and at the moment, the market's pricing in that the first rate rise will happen after the election mm-hmm. for two reasons. Um, so as I mentioned, inflation data is out on the 27th of April. So, this will probably be, it'll have been out before this goes to air probably. Uh, and then- We're actually the, going to put this up on Thursday in two days. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So, so, I wanted to, I just prepped the team. I'm like, we need to get this out because yep. it's probably yeah. time sensitive. So, they're unlikely to increase interest rates probably in May because 
Uh, sorry, before the May election, because effectively we've got inflation data coming out on the 27th of April, uh, which will, will be yesterday by the time this airs. Mm. Um, and then we've got wage inflation. So remember I spoke before about the wage inflation is the one that becomes a concern mm. because it becomes that vicious cycle and therefore they need to try to slow it down. Um, and that doesn't come out until towards the end of May. So they'll possibly wait for that information uh, mm. before going. They could go in, in, in May, but at the moment what the market is pricing in, because the market is a forward-looking beast and it's trying to anticipate what's going to happen, it's pricing in a rate increase to start sort of in uh, in June. It's so funny. Like the RBA is very like professional and we do our monthly meetings and all the stuff that they should be, right? Yeah where for six months the market's going, because the RBA is like, there won't be any interest rate increases this year in 2022. And for months, the market's been going, you're yeah. right, get stuffed. <laughs> it's kind of like me walking into the office here at Morningstar. I'm chill, I'm casual. I look like a homeless person into this professional office. It's just chalk and cheese, isn't it? The market versus, you know, there's what's going on yep. versus we've got to hold this company line. that Because the RBA can't say, oh, everyone... On the 5th of August, categorically, we're increasing at 2%. Like, they're not going to manipulate things like that or... Because that'll impact what markets do, right? Mm. So, yeah, no, absolutely not. So, as you say, though, there's only so much that a a government at a federal level can actually do. Um, You know, they could, like with uh, oil prices recently, they reduce the excise, you know. So, there's credible things like that that they can actually do. But the reality is interest rates are controlled by the central banks. And here it's the Reserve Bank of Australia, which is has independence from the government. Mm. Um, so, <laughs> there's some campaigns out there at the moment about we'll be able to keep your home loan at a certain level. Not, there's no way that that can happen mm. because of that independence of the Reserve Bank Charter. Yeah. Wow. Um, yeah, so their cost of things are a real problem. But it's not just for us, it's globally, right? Mm. It's everywhere in the world. It's a global problem at the moment uh, that will require a little bit of steam to come out of the markets for it to, to settle. Let's take a quick break and we'll pay the light bill and for this coffee that I'm having. Uh, and then we'll come back and move into, well, what does this mean for investing? What does it mean for markets? And we'll be right back after this. If you're after personal financial advice, don't get it from a podcast. If you would like help based on your own personal situation, head over to sortyourmoneyout.com. Click get help and we'd be happy to introduce you to one of our trusted advisors. Our panel of advisors, mortgage brokers and accountants work with clients all over Australia so they can connect with you wherever you are. That's sortyourmoneyout.com and click get help. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. 
All right, we're back. Now, we got a bit down and dirty with the inflation and interest rates. And for a casual observer or someone who's maybe a new listener, they might think, well, that's all too complex. Yep. Lots going on there. Anything that you want to just put a button on that little segment because, you know, the unemployment rates, 4%, if not going to be less, we're basically at full employment. Yep. A lot of, a lot of economists say you really can't get less than that. Yeah. And globally, you know, whether it's here in Australia or the US, economies are doing well. Okay. So the key takeouts, I guess, from the conversation we've just had is that the economies have been doing well and we have some inflation. Some of it's transitory. Those supply demand issues we talked about, they'll work their way out of the system. But because we have full employment effectively here in the US, that is leading to wage pressure. So if I want to hire someone, I have to offer them more money to get them in the door, which means I then have to raise my prices, which means then it becomes that circle. So I think from here, inflation's a problem. Expect interest rates to rise. And this is unusual. We haven't seen it for a very long time. And as a result, the stock market, the bond market, assets in general, you'll see a lot of price volatility. And I think that's what we probably need to spend time talking about is that it can make people feel uncomfortable. It can make them nervous and make bad decisions. Well, just on this, I put it in the Facebook group. Um, Lynn Jeffries, uh, she asked a question like, how does she manage her own investing behaviour, like particularly with all this stuff going on? Yeah, so so whether it's Lynn or whoever, right, mm. I think it's sort of... Um, well, and maybe I'll read a couple yeah, of people's it. comments just to give us food for thought. Uh, Bronte uh, Whittington said, how to build a good strategy? What factors do, do I think about um, to be confident with what I decide to, um, to do? Yeah, and then there was another comment from Ryan Clarkson. You know, there's talk about investing in ETFs and not to pick invest in, and not to pick individual shares. You know, if we're happy with our super and to wait until preservation age, you know, should we leave super where it is and you know invest and find those bangers outside of super? There's a bit of a a, a flurry. Neil Alexander says, you know. What about a written personal investment strategy? How often should you refresh or change it? So a lot of stuff around, I guess, because I, I did put the question in the Facebook group around investing behaviours. Yeah. But our behaviours can be spooked, right? Absolutely. So giving those comments from our listeners, do you want to take what's going on in the real world? Because yep. we live in reality, unfortunately, yep. um, <laughs> to what people are thinking and saying. Uh, and see where we land. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's super important to sort of sit down and unpack behavioural biases. So all those questions get to the heart and soul of the one concept of how do I make better investment decisions? How do I avoid the typical mistakes? And as you rightly point out, when things are uncertain, and let's face it, they've been super uncertain lately with war, COVID, inflation concerns, rising interest rates, will election. Be, election, will there be a recession, et cetera. Ma market. Elon buying Twitter. Oh, my God. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I should unpack that one. Um, so <laughs> Trump's about to get his Twitter account back, oh I'm sure. Oh, gosh. Um, but anyway, so in times of uncertainty, the markets are volatile. So I think, you know, one of the reasons why we talked about inflation interest rates up early is is that I think you need to understand and accept the fact that a part of investing is every now and again, you are going to see a negative number in front of your investment returns, okay? And that's something as an investor you need to accept. And then what you need to understand is, well, when I see that, 
how do I make sure my biases don't cause me to do something really dumb? Okay. Now, the reality is we all have biases, every single one of us. This is not unique to, you know, it's got nothing to do with your intelligence or your level of understanding of markets. We all have biases in our everyday life and it's because of the way our brain works. Our brain is designed to make shortcuts because basically, you know, they're usually for the better where our brain wants to make quick decisions because we've got a thousand things we need to decide on every day. You know, so a really good example would be if, you know, you're in a uh, theatre, someone yells fire and everyone runs out, your brain's going to go, yep, I'm going to go even though I haven't seen smoke or anything like that. So so these shortcuts are actually really helpful for getting through life and managing everyday decisions, but they can become biases, these shortcuts, and they can result in us making poor decisions, particularly when money's involved, because money's a very, very emotional topic for everyone. So particularly in this climate, what's the biggest thing that you would say people need to be very aware of? Loss aversion. Right. Yeah, absolutely. 100%. Um, and that's basically because we, you know, since the start of the year, so just since January, global investment markets are down 10%. So if you've, you know, tracking your portfolio and you've got an index fund, you've lost 10% mm. in international equities. You know, even bonds, which are usually considered, you know, the safe investment, they're down around 7 Mm. Australian equities has done a little bit better, but the reality is there are negative numbers out there at the moment. Now, studies show that people hate losses twice as much as they like gains. Yeah, I hate getting dumped more than I like going out on a date. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. See, (laughs) that's loss aversion. doesn't relate just to money, right? It's absolutely everything. Um, But what happens though is that loss aversion can lead to some really unusual or you know, not ideal behaviour at all. So, for example, if you're looking at, let's just say you hold a global equity ETF, it's gone down 10% since the beginning of the year and you're terrified, I want to avoid more losses, I, you know, absolutely need to get out. So, you do. So, you take all your money out and you put it in cash and you try to time the market or Mm. put it back in when things are good again. The reality is, though, what typically happens is that you miss the bounce, because you can't, you don't know when it's going to turn. And if I take COVID as an example, that sell-off in markets was hard. It was fast. It was horrible, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it lasted for six weeks though. If you had pulled your money out, you would have missed the bounce and markets went up and above. So your ability to make money during that time was was quite large. Yeah, it's. this is so funny because this is the stuff that it's bread and butter we need to hear it. And if there's one reason that we do the My Millennial Money podcast, it's just a weekly reminder to keep your mitts off stuff and let yeah. it do its thing. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm. You know, assume you've made a good decision at the beginning, like you do your research, put a lot of effort into that initial decision, but then step back and, mm. you know, have faith in the fact that you, you, you've made a good decision and let it pay out. Mm. So, and the other way loss aversion comes in and can be quite interesting as well is because people hate it so much, if you sell out, you let, let's just say you buy something for 100 bucks and it goes down to 50, right? You're like, well, if I sell that now, I've lost 50. But if I just hold on to it, maybe I'll get it back. The reason why that's sort of not necessarily a great decision is because, well, that $50 could go to work elsewhere and earn you a better return, Right effectively. And this actually gets into another bias that exists, which is cognitive dissonance, which is effectively you fail to take into account your information. 
Okay. So when it comes to investing. Feels like a personal attack. <laughs> so when you're on that date, Glenn. <laughs> um, yes. Read the room. <laughs> so, so what it means is that because you're so hung up on making sure you get back to square, you actually start not taking into account information that can help you make a good decision mm. of actually, you know what, something's actually changed. You know, the world's changed or something. something's occurred that made that original decision probably not great. So as a good investor, you need to learn from your mistakes. I think having being humble is super important as an investor. So then, yeah, so that they're kind of two of the key ones. And I think maybe the, un, the next one that would lead on to that would then be around, you know, what we call action bias or action man, mm. you know. So I've got to do something. I've got to, I've got to make this better. And that's also for the, um, you know, if you're a doer like me, I just need to do something to mm-hmm. make it better. Yep. And I just need to fix it. If it's not broken, I'm going to fix it anyway because it's crazy out there. And if I'm doing something, it means I'm controlling it. Yes, which is so naive, mm. right? particularly when it comes to investing, right? There's one thing I can tell you for certain, you're not controlling it, right? The the market is, you know, you can always, a lot of people describe the market as a, as a living thing, right? It's mm. a beast. Yeah, and it's, it needs to be respected. Yep, 100%. So, you know, action bias is that tendency to take actions for reasons that, you know, they might be valid, but actually are not completely relevant to the situation, mm. okay? Um, so, for example, I'm going to take action because markets have fallen and I'm going to pull out and go to cash and I'm going to wait for it to go up and I go in. And you haven't taken into account, well, what's the cost of doing that? Mm. Do you have a skill set in market timing? Uh, if you don't get the bounce, how much return do you give up? The fact that you've pulled out on the downside means you've locked in those losses, you know, so you're not taking into account all the information, but just rather that whole you know, that concept of at least I tried to make it better mm. and that makes you feel better. Yeah, this is crazy because a lot of this stuff, like I wrote this down before and I might do a little express podcast with you when we press stop because I do another podcast that's only like 10-minute episodes. Yep. We get caught up in the strategy versus tactics. Yep. And are you an investor for the long term? Or are you a trader and trying to time the market? Yep. Like pick one, that's fine, but don't whinge if you lose your ass. Absolutely. Because all these human nature things kick in or, you know, work gets busy and you forget to log in and check that day to yeah. replace your trade. Like, yeah. And a lot of this stuff, whether it's a fee-free brokerage account or you've got to pay $19 for brokerage, that is a, such a small insignificant thing in compared to some of these other big stuff that yeah. you've got to get on top of. Yeah, yep, absolutely. And also, you know, the people who are trying to trade, I often liken it to, you know, a mate of mine who he'll be at the pub and he's come back and go, oh, I've just won on the horses. But he hasn't told you what he's lost, mm. <laughs> right? Yeah. It's the one he's won that he's remembered, not the ones that have that they've lost, nor the cost of, mm. you know, as you say, investing's not free. You've got to pay brokerage mm. and, you know, all that sort of stuff. Okay, so just on that, like... We're in different Facebook groups and online f- online forums and, you know, people talk about, oh, we're doing this, we're doing that. If you're not doing this, you're crazy and all this stuff. You know, how do we take mass group think? How do we take mass information? And, you know, am I following the group? Because I think on balance, a lot of our decisions sometimes the group think can lead us astray because it doesn't take into account our own 
situation and our, and our own strategy. Yeah, absolutely. But it also, so this is herding bias. Right. Which, you know, again, as humans, and the reason why we have this bias is about survival. Okay, so going back to the fire in the theatre example or, you know, if I'm living on the jungle <laughs> with my tribe and everyone starts running because there's a tiger coming, you know, my herding behaviour goes, right, yep, I, I've just got to go. I don't know what the problem is or what the issue is, but everyone's running, so I've got to run. It's fine. That is, and we did a podcast a couple of years back and we talked about system one, system two thinking, okay, and people could go back and listen to that. But that's an example of a system one thinking is that your mind tries to find shortcuts because if you sat down and overanalyzed every decision you made every day, you would go completely mad. Mm. But the thing is that unfortunately when it comes to finances, the crowd's usually running in the wrong direction, Mm. okay, because people, there's this whole concept of, you know, safety in numbers and, oh, you know, my friend just bought Bitcoin and it went up or, you you know, this person's doing that. It's really easy to get sucked into a narrative, and with social media these days, there's uh, there's so many different narratives out there. Some of them are far from well-founded, but it makes people make decisions because they figure if everyone else is doing it, it, must be right. And it's usually at a lag anyway. Like oh, everyone was like, oh, have you done Wordle? I'm like, yeah, I'm over it. I was doing that ages ago because I'm on Twitter and most people aren't. And yeah. like, oh, are you buying you know, Bitcoin and crypto. Oh, yeah, did that ages ago. But now because everyone's talking about it, yeah. it's too late. So absolutely, back to kind of Lynn's question and Bronte's questions, mm. having that good strategy, you need a strategy that removes you from yes. any th- external kind of social impact that might spook you or get you to double think yourself. Yeah, because look, going against the crowd can be emotionally draining mm. and uncomfortable. Because then you're sitting there thinking, well, if I'm wrong, I'm wrong alone and how do I justify what I did, et cetera. Yeah, so it's really, it's really not a, an easy thing to actually go against. And we're all, we're all hardwired, you know, going back to loss aversion to avoid the pain of loss. So if I go against the herd and I'm wrong, well, I'm going to look like the complete fool. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, there's a few things that you can do. I think what's super important is that You know, the reality is that when markets are volatile, we're more prone to these biases and making bad decisions. Now, even once you are aware of your biases, you can't get rid of them, okay? It's like, you know, when you see an optical illusion, you can't unsee it, okay? It just, Mm. it is what it is. But being mindful of them and putting in place systems or checklists that can help you avoid some of these mistakes is really important. There's a reason why surgeons and pilots use checklists, Okay, Mm. so the pilots flown that route a million times, but before they take off, they literally run through every part of the checklist to make sure that they haven't just gone, oh, yeah, you know. She'll be right. She'll be right. The engine's turning. Let's go. Yeah. Um, So, you know, I think. When I fly, I hope for turbulence that bad that the pilot's scared. (laughs) That's what I want. I need the thrill of it. (laughs) The thrill of it or just to (laughs) test the pilot and make sure they know what they're doing. I I want the pilot to be scared. All right, you're mad. Okay, remind me never to get on a plane with you. (laughs) (laughs) Because most turbulence pilots like, oh, yeah, it's just part of flying. And the average punter would be like, this is scary. I'm like, no, no, I need it that bad. So the pilot's crapping themselves. Yeah, I've had one of those experiences. Wasn't fun. Oh, bring it on. (laughs) But, you know, so when when you get down to sort of hurting behaviour and you say social media and so forth, I think, you know, if you were to create a checklist, one of those things would be turn down the noise, Mm. right? So 
to control your own biases, if you are logging onto whatever your platform is that you trade through or whatever every day, well, of course, that there's so much noise in that, mm. okay? And that's anxiety provoking and you're going to want to trade and, you know, that'll just end up to sort of wealth, you know, you actually destroying your wealth more than anything. So what you could actually do is say, okay, well, I'm going to sh- set a schedule, okay, for how often I check my portfolio. So you're turning down the noise or turning down the volume. Now, the reality is if you are, if it's your super, well, how often do you really need to look at it? It's a 20, 30-year investment, mm. right? Um, if it's some shorter term, if you've got some shorter term investments playing out because, I don't know, you've got aspirations to buy a car or start a business sometime soon, then, you know, you, you might want to set a frequency of, okay, I'm only going to look at it weekly or mm. monthly. So set yourself a time frame that you know you can stick to and that allows you to turn down the noise. And delete the apps off your phone. Even better, right? You if don't you can, need to look yeah. at it daily. Yeah. But, you know, we know that people, you know, when it comes to the markets, if you're an act, you know, if you're really passionate about it and loving it, just set yourself a schedule and try to stick to that schedule so mm. that you don't get reactive. Mm. The other thing that you can actually do is create a speed bump for yourself. Okay. So if we go back to action man or action bias of that whole, oh, you know, war has just broken out in the Ukraine. I've got to do something with my portfolio. Well, do you? Mm. So, Maybe you could set yourself, um, you know, just a simple time frame of how you make decisions. So if in your mind you go, right, today I'm going to buy this and sell that, then set a speed bump. And that speed bump could be, but my rule is I have to wait three days. I have to sit on the decision bef- for three days before I make it. Because there's nothing like time and distance mm. to actually make you think about things more rationally and, and so forth. And I guess if someone was like, what if I decide to sell and you want me to wait three days before I sell it? You go like, well, hang on a minute. Are you trading or investing? Yeah, absolutely. Like, what are you doing? Yeah. And yeah. If, if you're a trader, you should have completely different strategy. I'd also yeah. say don't do it, right? Yeah. It's a I complete mean, skill set. It's, it's so it. funny. Like, yeah, there's probably less than 1% of people who make a living from trading. And yeah. we had one of them on the podcast and he was a complete freak. He's doing 800 grand a year. Yeah. But- Complete freak. Absolutely right. It's like, like yeah. it, it can happen, but it's it's not yeah. normal. It's not most of people. I could also become an Oscar winner, right? But yeah. <laughs> let's face it, it's not, it's not likely. Let's face happen. it, I don't want to get slapped. Oh, yeah. Fair point, fair yes, point. Yes. I'll be giving out the slaps though if I'm yeah, an Oscar winner, true. to be fair. Exactly. So then the other thing, so we're, gonna, we're creating a checklist here, right? So yeah. first is reduce the noise. The second is basically create speed bumps for your decision. So you have to slow down. That's why speed bumps are on roads. People slow down and pay attention to what's going on around them. Reconnect with your goals. So one of your listeners asked about how do I set goals and so forth. And the reality is when, you know, you start looking at the market day to day, you don't reset goals day to day. No. Okay. So what you want to do is re- when you're starting to feel a bit nervous, reacquaint yourself with your goals. Okay. So I set these goals. They're five years, they're 10 years, or in the case of super, they're 30 years, whatever. And start to sort of think through, well, how will my current strategy help me reach those goals? If your current strategy won't help you reach those goals because something has changed, then yes, reassess. But quite often what you'll find if you sit down and reconnect with those goals, then, you know, chances are you'll probably find that you're, you're still doing fine. The last part of the checklist would be 
be your own devil's advocate. So there's a bias that we didn't talk about, which was confirmation bias, where you always look for information that supports your view. So if I Google, for example... It's a Twitter algorithm, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) If I Google, are cats better than dogs? Like, of course, I'm going to get all confirmation that cats are better than dogs. But if I Google dogs better than cats... Like, so that's not research, right? Yeah. It's, it, you're not looking at something from both sides. So if I'm actually in the process of going, right, I'm about to sell this investment, ask yourself why would someone buy it? Because the reality is if you're selling it, someone's buying it. Totally. So why? Why are they buying it? If I'm selling it because I've reached my goals and I'm, you know, I'm, you know things are changing, that's fine. But if I'm selling it because I'm worried, I'm nervous because I've been looking at this market volatility – Think about why would somebody stand on the other side of that mm. and what's their reason? Mm. And then also, like, I think confirmation bias, it's just, it's so wild and we all do it. Like, if someone says to you, like, and it was a Jerry Seinfeld joke, he's like, everyone's got the best dentist. Everyone's got the best yes. hairdresser. <laughs> like, Absolutely. Because just because I've had a good experience with somebody, it doesn't mean they're the best. No, absolutely. And I kind of used to flick it the other way, like for business owners. And if you are a business owner and you listen, like go and have a subscribe to My Millennial Business. It's a good podcast that we talk about just business stuff. But like I, you know, if you're a business owner, I don't think you can be the best in the world, but you can be the best in your client's world. Yeah. Anyway, that's just a side little bit of yeah. free meat for um free meat. The business <laughs> business owners. But, but you're be vegan. The, well, processed non-processed fake meat. (laughs) Perfect. So, all right, bringing it home before we wrap up, anything else that you would like to add that we maybe not have touched on? I guess the only thing, because we've talked about the current climates causing volatility, get comfortable with the fact that you may see some negative numbers in front of your investment returns, think through your biases, come up with a checklist to slow yourself down. The only thing we haven't spoken about is that actually – when the markets go through periods of correction, it can actually be an opportunity, right? Mm. Because you can pick up assets cheaper than you could the day before. Um, okay. And so I don't think we're there yet though because mm. markets are still looking a bit expensive and, and but, so forth. But but there is a an argument that you've got to be careful you're not getting to, I'm timing the market territory. No. Yeah, absolutely not. But mm. what you want to do though is start thinking about you know, when the market gets to a certain point, so if we if we go through the remainder of this year and let's just say that markets go down, I don't know if they will, they may go up, who mm. knows, but let's just say we see a further sell-off in markets. You have to say to yourself, well, I've got some extra cash sitting there. Does that make sense for me to invest mm. it now? Yeah, and I think that goes to more of that opportunity fund or opportunity money in your life. Yeah. Like, So I invest monthly into my portfolio, yep. um, whether it's, I, and honestly, I maybe once a year, once every six months, I might have a look at it. Yep, turn down the noise. Um, but, you know, I like to be a little bit cash heavy in my life for opportunities. And if there is a big sell-off, it might be like, oh, okay, well, I'll back the truck, truck up and tip a bit in. Hmm. I don't time the market. I'm just like, it's a moment in time. Yeah. I've got some extra cash may as well throw it in. Yeah, and you're not tipping it in then pulling it out a couple of days later. You're tipping it in knowing that, okay, all right, that's going to potentially do better for me than sitting in the bank mm. yep. over the next five, ten years. Well, we might leave it there. Yeah. Anything else? Were we all good? I think we're all good. Sorry if it got too technical. No, no, that's fine. Do you want to 
have you got another 10 minutes? Because we might do a, an express podcast episode. Yeah, sure. Um, and I want to talk about strategy versus tactics. Okay. But I'm just going to announce right now that the My Millennial Money Express podcast, I'm renaming it to My Millennial Investor. And the reason I'm doing that is because all the stuff that I talk about there, it is about investing in shares. It's about investing in property. It's about investing in your own mindset. It's about investing in spending time in your own budget. It, you know, we're all investors, but we might not be an investor in financial markets at the moment. You might be investing in your relationship. You might be investing in your career. So I'm changing it to my millennial investor. And if you head over there now, you'll see the new cover art and you'll, uh, you'll see an episode come up tomorrow which will be Friday the 29th of April with Jody and I talking about strategy versus tactics. So, why don't you go head over there and hit like, subscribe and uh, thank you so much, Jody Fitzgerald from Morningstar Investment Management. We'll Pleasure. see you soon. Hope so. We acknowledge the dark and young people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits and pay respect to their elders past and present. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. My Millennial Money supports A21, a charity focused on abolishing slavery and human trafficking all over the world. Check out a21.org.au for more info. If you would like some other giving options or if you're unsure about which charity you can support, head to thelifeyoucansave.org.au. This podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general financial advice only, which does not take into account your objectives, financial situation, or needs. Because of that, you should consider if the advice is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on the information. If you do choose to buy a financial product, read the product disclosure statement and obtain appropriate financial advice tailored to your needs. Simo Interactive, Proprietary Limited, the publisher of the podcast, is an authorized representative of Money Sherpa, Proprietary Limited, which holds financial services license 451289. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.